Hello, and welcome to another episode of All the Hacks, a show about upgrading your life, money, and travel. I'm your host, Chris Hutchins, and each week I sit down with the world's best experts to learn the strategies, tactics, and frameworks that shape their success. A couple days ago, I had a fascinating conversation with Tad Fallows, and we talked about how high net worth investors manage and invest their money, including their asset allocation percentages and a deep dive on alternative assets. So if you want to check that out or get more context on Tad and the community of high net worth investors he runs, definitely listen to that episode. But today, I wanted to release a little bonus episode with the rest of that conversation, which is all about how he thinks about money and kids, things like allowance, college savings, sharing family finances, as well as a real estate tax hack and his recommendations if you're ever in his hometown, Dallas. So let's get started right after this. Science has shown that being charitable can actually have a huge impact on your happiness, which is why I'm excited to be partnering with Daffy today. They're a not-for-profit community built around a new modern way to give, and they have a mission I think we can all get behind, helping people be more generous more often. Amy and I use Daffy for all of our giving because they offer an account that makes it easy to put money aside for charity. You can make a one-time contribution, or you can set a little aside each week or month, and all your contributions are tax-deductible. Except you don't actually have to know exactly where you want to give the money right away. In fact, you can make your tax-deductible contribution now and invest that money into stocks or even crypto so it can grow tax-free and let you have more impact in the future. Then, whenever you're ready, you can give to any of more than one and a half million charities, schools, or faith-based organizations in a matter of seconds. So head on over to allthehacks.com slash Daffy if you want to start giving today. And for a limited time, if you visit that link, you can get a free $25 to give to the charity of your choice. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash D-A-F-F-Y. I wish I could say that I'm eating a fully balanced diet every day, but the reality is that I am definitely not. So I love having an easy way to get my daily nutritional insurance, which is why I kickstart my day with Athletic Greens, and I am excited to be partnering with them for this episode. I started taking it because I wanted to see what all the hype was about, and I've kept it in my daily routine for months. Every morning, I mix it up with some cold water, add a few ice cubes, it tastes so good when it's cold, and I head to my office feeling focused and energized for the day, which is a feeling I absolutely love. I also love that it's made from 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and superfoods, and contains less than one gram of sugar. It also has no GMOs, nasty chemicals, or artificial anything. To make giving it a try easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit allthehacks.com slash athleticgreens. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash athleticgreens to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I am curious about another type of financial education, which is how you're thinking about sharing all of this knowledge with your kids. Because mine right now at two and five months, we're not really talking about it a lot. A guy I know, Rob Phelan, has this awesome book called Emma's for Money that we bought for my daughter. So it's like an alphabet book, except each page is talking about an aspect of money. And my daughter knows that the piggy bank has money and that the money buys things. And that's about as far as we've gotten. You're further on the journey. How have you thought about trying to make sure your kids both 
understand all of this and are equipped with the knowledge, but also I went to a conference recently and there was a group of people that said, how do we raise kids that aren't entitled? Have you thought about that? And what are you doing? Yeah, I love this question. And you know, of course, I'll start with the comment that I don't have all the answers here. But if I look at myself and actually all the members of our community, I'd say, what is the number one problem that most of them are struggling with? It's this question of, as you're saying, what's the right way to raise kids in regard to money? And I might put that into two groups. One, you talked about how to make sure you're instilling them with the right values and not to take things for granted, not to be entitled. And then the other one is just practically how you get them sort of the information and knowledge about it. You know, in the world of not being entitled, don't have a full answer there, but a few things. In general, I would say that communication and honesty and transparency, I think is the best way to go. So my kids are a little bit older. They're seven and 11, and we've been trying to do this throughout. So in terms of making sure they value money, of course, they can see that we have a nice house. If we want to go on vacation, we go on vacation. But my wife and I are transparent when we talk about decisions we're making. Like we bought a new car recently and my son was asking, well, why didn't we get a luxury car? Why did we get a Hyundai? And, you know, is that we didn't have the money for it. I said, we could, if we wanted to buy a fancier car, but that's just not important to us. And other things that we spend our money on are more valuable to us. I used actual numbers with him. Okay. Here's how much a Mercedes would cost. Here's how much the Hyundai costs. This one seems nice to me. They both get from A to B. So just this idea of communicating no matter how much or little money you have, there are trade-offs, whether it's whether to buy the coffee at Starbucks versus making it at home versus do you want to fly private versus do you want to fly commercial? I personally have not moved beyond the idea of flying economy. I can't get my head around flying first class. So the kids actually, it demysticizes it. They see this as something that mommy and daddy talk about and they think about these trade-offs. And I think that kind of gives them exposure to it. In terms of how to sort of educate the kids on money and how it works this is something where I wouldn't say that we've done a lot of things right in parenting, but this is one where I feel like we have done a pretty good job of it. I think the fundamental thing is your kids are interested in everything that you're interested in and everything you do. So again, my wife and I just talk transparently about our jobs. And when I'm looking at an investment here, I will put it in words that will make sense to a seven-year-old or make sense to an 11-year-old. But I'll tell them, hey, we're looking at this whiskey aging fund and here's how it works. You're buying stuff that this factory makes and you're holding on to it and you think you can sell it for more for later. And does this seem like a good deal? And asking them, hey, what would you be worried about on this deal? How do you think it might not work out? Why do you think it does make sense here? Just that open talking about it of not having money be a taboo. Our son was asking about how we bought a house and how we decide which one to buy. And we didn't make up numbers saying, okay, let's pretend a house costs $100. We talked about the actual prices of that because they are sooner than we want or realize going to get access to the actual numbers. So versing them in those real numbers is super helpful. And then the other thing we've done is actually just tactically in the world of investing. Each kid, as soon as they were born, I opened a brokerage account for them. So this was separate from their 529 college savings, but just a brokerage account to buy individual shares of stock. And then for every birthday and Christmas and Hanukkah, they each get to pick out one stock that they're interested in. It starts when they're little kids, like, okay, how about Mattel or how about Disney or something like that? And I just print out a cute, goofy looking stock certificate and they think that's semi-cool. But then especially my son, now he's 11, has gotten older, he's expressed interest in this. And so so we will actually talk about particular companies and say, hey, your birthday is coming up. What do you want to look at? And depends. Sometimes it'll be he wants to, a share of stock in the company where my wife works or something like that. And sometimes he'll say, well, which one's growing faster and start to do a junior version of analysis on them. And it's not like this is his passion. He may show no interest in it for two months, but then the brokerage statement will come. He'll look at it. He'll read it. And the cool thing about kids is if he's getting 75 cents in dividends from some companies, like, wow, I just got 75 cents I didn't work for. For a grown up, you might say, hey, who cares about 
75 cents. But for a kid, actually, those small numbers are an exciting amount of money. And it's a way to sort of start getting them that exposure there. And they can get those little wins. And they actually then see that continuity where a year from now and two years and five years, he's seen those same shares that he got for his third birthday. Now it is eighth birthday or his 13th birthday. He's seen those there. If he puts on dividend reinvestment, he's seen those numbers get bigger. And just sort of, at least for him, I saw this light bulb go out of these dividends. Hey, I didn't do anything. And now I got this money here. I think he sort of gets the value. We also nudge them in that direction where they get an allowance and we give them the option of, hey, you can spend it on whatever you want to. It's your money. It's your choice. But if you donate to charity, we're going to match that 100%. And if you invest it, we're going to match that 100%. And so the kids... They spend some on trash, but I would say most of it they choose to donate or invest and they see the value of that 100% investment and it gets it compounding pretty fast. I've also found, especially as they get older, it's been a nice discipline tool. Every parent discipline is such a challenge. You don't want to yell at your kids. You lecture them, you give them consequences, timeouts, takes things away, et cetera. But for a certain class of misbehavior, this can actually be really effective. So my son and I were at Boy Scouts a couple of weeks ago. He was throwing around his Boy Scout book and he accidentally threw it up in the rafters and it got stuck there. And so I was I mean, like so frustrated with him. Like, oh, like why'd you do that? It's going to cost $25 to buy a new Boy Scout book. And then I realized, you know what, Jack? you got to spend the $25 to buy that Boy Scout book. I told you not to throw it around. You knew that was the wrong thing to do. It factually costs $25. We can look on Amazon here and saying getting you know, a new book is costing $25. That's coming out of your account there. And so that was, I would say, a very fair consequence. It was just a natural consequence of what he did, but it really reinforced it. He has not done that same thing again when he realized, hey, I have to pay out of pocket for this. And of course, if he destroys our sofa, we're not going to charge him you know, thousands of dollars for that. But you get these sort of small classes of things where you can actually just make them more responsible, at least with material things, by making them live with the consequences when they act irresponsibly. I like it. I feel like I got a lot of thinking to do before we get there. I will ask in case you've thought about it, have you thought much about college savings and 529s versus just keeping something in a little bit more liquid, less restrictive place? Yeah, I looked at this a lot when they were born, and I've just sort of put on autopilot since then. The math I did when they were born was basically if you put $1,000 a month from day one into a 529 plan, assuming some reasonable rate of return, that's going to more or less cover the cost of college when they get there. Since that was 7, 11 years ago, it's probably a higher number today. Maybe it's 1200 bucks that you need to put a month into that. But I just started that from day one, and those accounts have been building up. The upside to 529 is they're great from a tax perspective. You put the money in untaxed at the beginning, but basically it grows untaxed. The dividends are untaxed. Capital gains are untaxed. And when you take it out, as long as you're spending it on education, and there's a very broad set of things that count as education, there's no taxes ever when you're taking it out. So it's great there. The only quote risk is that you actually overfund it and maybe your kid doesn't go to college or they get a full scholarship or they go to an inexpensive in-state school and you've got too much money in there. I think it's a really pretty small problem. One reason is that you can take that money out and just pay a penalty. But if it's been compounding for 20 years, you've probably done better than the penalty anyway. Or if you're fortunate that you've got extra money and there's money left over in there, you can always just repurpose that to a new beneficiary. So in theory, you could make your grandkids the beneficiary of that. And then you've done your kids' college savings on their behalf for them. I have probably overfunded what we need to have in there. But just in the idea that the downside is pretty small and the upside of not having to worry about it is pretty significant. There's other things you can do in terms of also putting money in trust for your kids and UTMA accounts, et cetera. 
I wouldn't say I have the exact answer there, but for the 529s, I think just picking a number and consistently putting in every month is kind of a no-brainer if you can afford to do it. Someone sent me, I can't even remember the name of the website or I'd share it, but this guy who basically teaches a course or does consulting. I can't figure out how legitimate it is, but it's a bunch of hacks and a series of tactics to basically offset the cost of college. And it seemed like it was kind of asset location meets scholarship eligibility and financial aid and all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking of doing an episode on college savings in and of itself, and I'm trying to do some research now. So stay tuned if I learn anything interesting. And if I don't, then that means there's not really any interesting tactics to learn from. Yeah. And I will say, if you send your kids to private elementary school, you will question why you're saving for college. It you know, costs just as much to send them to a private elementary. Fortunately, our kids are going to a public school now, but when they were previously going to a private school, I really questioned why there was all this hoopla around it when it costs just as much before that. That was kids. Are there any other areas of life, things you've picked up, tactics you want to share, tips, hacks before we take off? Sure. I think one that does not work for everybody, and I don't personally do this, but if you can make it work, there's a huge upside to is having you or your spouse become a real estate professional. And what that means is whoever is a real estate professional needs to spend 750 hours or more and at least half or more of their business hours doing real estate. It's a pretty broad variety. It can be a contractor, a real estate agent, managing your properties, etc. But if you do that, then all of your paper losses on real estate are actually deductible against your ordinary income. So if you have one spouse, say your wife is a lawyer earning a lot of money or a doctor earning a lot of money, and you can qualify as a real estate professional, you can actually cancel out her income with your paper losses on real estate. I don't know that I think this is good public policy, but if it's something you can do, it's a real savings for your portfolio. Awesome. Unfortunately, no real estate profession here, although maybe that definition gets wide enough one day, it'll qualify. I know you love all this stuff. This conversation has been great. We've had other ones before. Are there other places online that you consume content? You've got Long Angle, you've got this podcast, of course, but other resources, sites, blogs, people you follow to stay on top of all this? Yeah, for sure. There's a couple websites I like. Mr. Money Mustache, I'm sure you're familiar with. A lot of your listeners probably are. He was one of the ones that initially got me into this idea of a lot of the investing and, I guess, financial hacks. It's fairly different from some of the stuff I do, but I find him a very entertaining writer and a lot of interesting content there. There's also the Fat Fire Forum on which Mr. Money Mustache is all about extreme frugality. Fat Fire is more around financial independence, but spending a lot of money. So between those two, you kind of get a yin and yin of it. In terms of podcasts, there's probably three that I really like. One is the Odd Lots podcast by a couple of the Wall Street Journal reporters. It covers different economic topics in a really good degree of detail, sort of like yourself. There's one called Money for the Rest of Us that, again, he'll pick sort of one generally investing concept or asset class and really go deep on it for half an hour or so. And I've learned quite a bit from that one. And then there's one that won't appeal to all listeners, but it's called The Business of Family. And especially people who are in a demographic of having a family office or a family company and having quite a bit of assets in some company like that. Every episode, he interviews the sort of person leading one often multi-generational family company and talks about what they do to pass values and wealth and practices and other things across generations and how to run these family companies. I'm not personally in that situation, but I just find it fascinating to hear what some of these very successful families have done there. So those were three that I would point you to. Great. We always end off asking you to pick a place that you're pretty familiar with and share a few recommendations, something to do, eat, drink, 
What's your spot? So I live here in Dallas. I've lived here about seven years. Anybody who talks to me knows I'm basically the Dallas Chamber of Commerce. I love it here. So I'll talk about a couple of things with Dallas. You know, if I were looking at a really nice day in Dallas, I'd probably go for a walk down the Katy Trail, which is our rail trail here. There's a nice place called the Katy Trail Ice House. There's not great food there, but the atmosphere is awesome. And one of those places where you can get a margarita the size of your head. So that's a fun kind of people watching on the trail. And then where I'd probably go, what might surprise people about Dallas is the symphony here is actually phenomenal. I'm not a very cultured person and not historically into the arts, but we went one time to the symphony and I absolutely love it. We became season ticket subscribers after the concert hall was designed by IM Pei. And apparently it has top 10 acoustics in the world among symphony halls, given the way they designed it. We definitely recommend anybody who has a free Thursday, Friday, Saturday night here in Dallas uh, checks out the symphony. This is awesome. I really appreciate you being here. All right. Thank you for joining for this short bonus episode. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or questions for me about anything, especially because I'm prepping another listener question episode soon, shoot me a DM or email me, chris at allthehacks.com. Okay, that's all for this week. See you next week. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. So I want to talk about an amazing resource, the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast, where every week, NerdWallet's in-house experts and financial journalists set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. The nerds have already helped me get smarter about saving money on groceries, avoiding some of the latest financial scams, and boosting my credit score since it's actually been going a little bit up and a little bit more down lately as I've been taking advantage of a few recent credit card offers. They also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life so you'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.